I loved getting up in the morning. I clap my hands and say, this is going to be a great day. Swick Technologies presents the Leading Business Podcast, helping you leverage technology to accelerate your growth. The key to this business is personal relationships. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Swick Tech Leading Business Podcast. Uh, and I'm Shane. All right. Thanks for tuning back in. If you're a loyal listener, uh, we appreciate you coming back. On uh, today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what technical debt is and go over some examples of that. Uh, we think it's a good thing to talk about as we consider strategic planning for end of year uh, and kind of prepping for 2021. But before we get into that, uh, as part of our introduction, we want to talk about some new technologies that uh, the two of us are using. And uh, Shane, let's hear what you have to say first. What yeah, for sure. Um, so I did a little show and tell. I brought my new tech with me here today. So I have a DJI Ronin S gimbal uh, that I've been using recently for videography. So it stabilizes the video. Um, you mount your camera on top of this and it kind of does all this electronic jazz to stabilize your camera. So pretty slick little tool. Um, and I've been having a lot of fun learning how to shoot better videos with that. I think the low tech version of that is like taping a GoPro to a chicken and like their head just stays in the same place. If you rotate them around, there might be a video online of this. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they actually make a low-tech version called a stabilizer. Got it. It's like a slide thing you hold, and I don't know. I don't know how those work because when I did all of my research, I was like, I could spend two hundred dollars on a stabilizer, and it's all manual, or I can spend like five or six hundred bucks on a gimbal and never have to learn that other technology because the gimbal does so much more. That's beautiful. And so the end result or the outcome is that your video is really smooth. You can move around a lot and the camera's not going to get a Blair Witch project on you. Yeah, that's the big thing. The other thing is it's got like some controls on here. So you can see the little joystick. So you can actually manually move the camera with this joystick and it will stay completely stable as well. Um, makes i mean there's all different kinds of modes you can use on it so if there's actually one where you can do like a 360 telescope view and like point your camera forward and hold it as like a flashlight and the camera can spin in a 360 circle um i would like to see you try and do that with a chicken and a gopro <laughs> throw the chicken and make it do, i don't know uh, but yeah so it kind of opens up a lot of possibilities for videography and uh angles and movement and quality, the quality goes up a whole bunch then too. For sure. That's great. Well, that's a pretty neat piece of technology. Um, for me, I, you know, have been using a lot of Ryobi, uh, battery powered tools all the way up to it and including my lawnmower. Um, so no changing a spark plug, no adding mixed gas, no changing the oil or any sort of, I don't know what else you'd have to do with lawnmower. Is there like a belt maybe? I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. Not on a, I don't know, but you know, I have an electronic or electric push mower too. Electric, electronic, yeah. electronic. battery operated. There Let's go. go with that. Battery powered. Um, 
And the head of it, obviously, where the engine should be is just where the batteries connect. Obviously, I would assume there's still some form of belts and or pulleys and stuff because at the end of the day, it still has the like blades that it's got to spin to cut the grass. But yeah, it's way slimmed down in comparison. Yeah, the, the beauty of it is it's very lightweight. So I have a giant hill in my backyard, which is kind of the inspiration for considering that because they are so light. An sure. auto drive feature, so lightweight and self-propelling. Um, yeah, it's a really neat piece of technology. And then I have their leaf blower and their weed whacker and their chop saw and their you know drills and um, sawzall and all this other stuff, flashlight, I mean, you name it. And so the reason I thought that was kind of fun to consider as a piece of technology is um, there's a lot of innovation in that space. I now see that they have riding lawnmowers, zero turn lawnmowers. Uh, using similar tech to like what you'd see in a golf cart, except it's chargeable and it's consumer grade. And then uh, even snow blowers. And so if you think what's happening in like the EV world, I'm not shocked to see some of this technology coming, but zero emissions, um, zero maintenance. It's really great. Um, but the, the part that I think is kind of interesting is like you kind of have to, in some degree, marry yourself to a brand so you can use their full suite of products, which reminds me a lot of like Microsoft versus Google. Um, you kind of have to pick one and then you get all of the stuff along with it. So depending on your use case or need or brand affiliation or um, attachment, I'm not sure exactly if Ryobi was the best choice or not yet, but so far it seems to be working out pretty well. Nice. It's funny that you say that because I think the same way. I have all of the same battery operated tools. I think I DeWalt and it's good. I like it. I won't, I won't tell you it's better than Ryobi, although I'm thinking it. So I guess I told you. You're you know, but you're more handy than I am. So maybe the way you use your stuff, like you would find that it probably is, but I'm pretty low touch. You know, I'm not doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's funny that we say this though, with the, like you want to stick to one brand because that's clearly how you and I both think or organize clean, simple. I will tell you my father-in-law has all kinds of electric tools, battery operated tools and all different brands. And he's got like 8 million batteries. Doesn't seem to bother him. He loves them. He picks the one that he wants best for the like type yeah. of tool that he's buying or whatever. Um, but yeah, it drives me a little nuts when you go to his house and he has like a battery charging station with Makita and DeWalt and Ryobi and Rigid and everything else. It's like ah, yeah, the uniformity you get by picking one and staying within their kind of like suite of products <laughs> makes it really easy to have interchangeability and flexibility and. Um, it's pretty neat. I think it's it's cool. You know, at some point, I wonder if there'd be some like decentralized way to do that where it's like, I don't think so, though. I, I don't know how that's all going to like pan out in the future. There's just one battery that works for it. Kind of like how iPhone has their charger and then everybody else has the USB-C. Yeah, that would be really slick if you could get like universal batteries for a lot of these. I don't know if they would do that because I feel like that would probably dilute your market share a little bit for some of the companies. So who knows? But to your point before of how it's kind of similar to technology, that wall is being broken down a little bit, right? Like now I can log into my Gmail and my Google account on an iPhone and use the Google Assistant instead of Siri. So they are like kind of breaking down some of those walls on the software side, but I don't think we'll ever see that for battery technology. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But, um, and I know obviously like Tesla has opened up their plans to the world to have everyone try to make the best battery. Mm -hmm. So that's cars, but that's 
It's interesting. Can, um, can you so charge like a Chevy Volt at a Tesla charging station? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I would assume not, but I don't know. Huh. Anyway, the fun so the audience might know. Yeah, that is. We'll have to we'll have to do a little research on that later. Um, but yeah, so anyway, on to something that Eric does not know today. I have a fun question for you. I think this will this will be an interesting topic. Not super technology related, but uh, can you tell me the FAA's Federal uh, Aircraft Association, whatever F the, you know what the FAA is, right? People sure. that like make all the rules around planes and stuff flying. Uh, can you tell me what the FAA's regulation says about uh, how light or heavy your drone has to be for you to have to register it with them? Like there is a minimum and a max? Uh, there's a, I guess it'd be a minimum threshold. So if your drone is lighter than X amount, you don't have to register it. Got if it's it. heavier than X amount, same same number, you have to register it. I would say if it's heavier than five pounds, that can't be right. So heavy lighter than that. That seems like pretty heavy because I know there's a lot of kid toys. You can just fly wherever. But the really nice, fancy looking, expensive ones that I know a lot of videographers use, they're pretty light too. They're just built yeah. out of higher quality materials. So yeah, the newer ones are getting lighter and lighter too. But some of them are still pretty beefy. So five pounds is a lot. That's yeah. To your point, that's a heavy drone. The number is two hundred and fifty grams, which is like half a pound, a little more than half a pound. Interesting. Interesting. So. Uh, the reason I'm like on this right now is because I'm all about researching drones and stuff right now, and I'm going to file for the FAA's drone knowledge test or whatever it's called so that I can fly them commercially for business purposes. Um, but you don't have to register it. I mean, it's silly. The registration is like $5, so I'm going to anyway. If you don't, if it's under 250 grams, and the newest drone that DJI came out Actually, funnily enough, same brand that makes this gimbal. Uh, they're kind of the big drone market for videography and photography. They have really nice cameras on them. The newest drone they just came out with is 249 grams. Because you also avoid, for personal use now, you don't have to take the test or anything if it's under that weight. You don't have to register it. You don't have to take the test. You can Sounds like not good fly. for the industry. I feel like the more people that understand it's, the rules of the air would be better served for everybody. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of we'll find a way to update the regulation and reduce the weight. Yeah. We'll see. Who knows? I mean, they might. But that isn't that half a pound. This new drone weighs half a pound. Um, it's smaller than like your average smartphone. So like I wonder for like Amazon when they're delivering packages because the weight of the package, does that go into factorization? Or if you're attaching like a DSLR camera to it or something like that, does that factor into it? Well, they come with a 4K video camera on them. So you don't really need to attach something else to it anymore. But uh, to your point for like Amazon or someone, if you're using them for commercial use, then this is irrelevant. You probably need to register and yeah, take a test and learn how to fly them. That's true. Fascinating. No, I did not know that. Um, I know about it a little bit because I know folks that do that for like real estate and such, but uh, neat space to be into. Yeah. 
So I guess before we like dive into this topic about technical debt, um, we did want to have one news article that we cover. And the news article um, that you had found is called 10 ways or settle 10 ways the pandemic affected cloud investment. Was there anything in there that stood out to you that is kind of relevant to what we're going to talk about? Yeah, so this article is really interesting. It talks a lot about, uh, obviously, like you just said, the 10 different ways that like the cloud environment is changing as a result of the pandemic. So it talks a lot about like how people are shifting more and more to the cloud now that they kind of suffered through this uh, pandemic in the technology sense, right? So we've talked a little bit about that aspect, what it looks like to try and work remote during this pandemic. And if you have different tools and solutions, they're more helpful. Um, but the big thing that stood out to me in this is they have um, reported based on a survey of IT decision makers, at least 41% say that in the next 12 months, they are planning to increase their cloud security budgets. So because of the pandemic, this is kind of more of a hindsight situation and we'll talk about kind of the opposite with this tech debt topic today. Um, but because of the pandemic and because they realize how, how important it is for their employees to be able to work remotely and from anywhere and have access to those resources securely, all of these companies and IT decision makers are going to be putting more money into the budget to make sure that they can have better and more effective cloud security and cloud solutions. That's interesting. Um, when they are thinking about cloud security, is it like the access to that information or protecting information that lives in there? Or um, what do you think they mean by cloud security specifically? So I think the biggest barrier to moving to the cloud is that you need to have not only a budget to afford it, but also the right amount of money and budget to afford it so that it's secure, so that you're doing it right, right? There's a lot of ways people could stand up stuff in a cloud hosted environment. I don't know any of them other than the ones that are secure because those are the only ones we use, but um, there's a lot of ways you could do it insecurely for cheaper. Um, and so I think a lot of people have wisely foregone that route because they don't want it to be insecure. So I think this is saying they're increasing that budget so that they can do it in a secure way. So they can use one of those um, cloud platforms like Microsoft or Amazon Web Services or Google and make sure they're doing it the right way and that their data is safe and secure in that environment. And hindsight's 2020, so it's like looking back, it seems like it's easier to make this decision now going into the future than it would have been without the pandemic, I think. Um, yeah, which is interesting, right? That's kind of the opposite concept. We'll talk a little bit more about tech debt and what it is, but our our general idea today is to talk about like how can you use your money and your budget wisely to spend it upfront the right way so that you long term are more scalable and flexible and you have the right resources for your staff to be efficient and effective. Um, this is kind of the opposite, right? We're seeing how should I have spent my money? Okay, now I'm going to go and do that because yeah. of the pandemic. Has to inform the present to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, it's a good place to start. Now, I guess, you know, let's talk about what technical debt is. It sounds like, you know, most people in the business community uh, may have heard the term or might even know what it is, but just to be sure um, we're covering our bases here, the definition that we pulled uh, states technical debt is a concept 
primarily in software development that reflects the implied cost of additional rework caused by choosing an easy solution now instead of using a better approach that would take longer, which is interesting to think about Swiftex's why statement. We believe um, in, in building relationships and focusing on that um, as well as not sacrificing the future. So we put relationships in the future first in how we put our best foot forward and most interactions that we have. And oftentimes I can come off by going, wow, that's a really highly engineered solution. Are you sure we really need all of that? And it's like, well, we're thinking quite a bit ahead into the future here and thinking about things like scalability as an example. Um, and so we kind of broke this topic down into a few components of IT. And one of the ones, uh, as the definition even alludes to, is software development. And the part where my brain gets kind of like caught up is there has to be some awareness about technical debt and when you're approaching a decision that requires you to consider it. And so I think one of the benchmarks would be like, you know, are we trying to scale the business? Are we trying to grow? You know, when should we focus on building a system or a framework rather than just getting the job done? Um, if it's a quick and easy solution, I think that's when you need to ask yourself, well, wait a second, do we need to think bigger here? Um, I know you have a couple bullets on software development, so I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, and I do want to call out, Eric, that there's kind of two definitions or concepts when we're talking about tech debt, right? Like, and the, the one that you read off there is exactly like what we want to talk about today, right? The idea of like, should I spend more upfront now for a better solution that's going to last me longer, be better, be more efficient, et cetera. There's also, especially when we're talking about software development, there's the other side of it of like, should I literally take on debt or additional cost upfront and maybe take out some sort of loan or et cetera to be able to build out the right solution from the get-go. That's a way different topic, and I'm not a financial expert, so we aren't diving into that today. But I just wanted to call that out. It's a little different, especially when you're talking about software development. There's kind of two sides to that coin. But yeah, so um, a couple of items, I think, that come to mind when we're referencing software development and how to do it right. Um, you know, in a small business or medium-sized business, uh, environment, we're going to be referring to things like um, custom applications, connect different solutions or software packages that the business uses, whether that be for, you know, manufacturing or facilities use or what have you. Um, and then usually specific like line of business applications like an ERP or a customer relationship management tool that you have. Um, and then the most common um, that's going to be kind of underlying behind all of those applications is some sort of deep SQL database or reporting solution. So when we're thinking of this in the tech debt realm, um, I think it's important to review these and work with, you know, if you're not an expert in one of these, some sort of consultant that's an expert in that industry or that software uh, and talk through okay, how is this type of solution, how is this software or this application going to interact and work with the rest of the software in our environment, or maybe even hardware, or maybe even the people at your company? Um, I think that's where tech debt comes into place with software development. The, the idea being that at some point, if you make uh, 
lower grade decision for a solution or a lower you know, grade solution for a decision, you're going to have to pay that money back in the cost of redeveloping it. Or and I would argue, right. you know, not tenfold maybe every time, but in most scenarios, it's going to end up, you know, whether it be, maybe it's a long-term thing, right? Maybe you build this database or this application today um, on the cheap and it lasts you for 10 years, but then in 10 years, maybe it's super de deprecated. There's all kinds of scenarios where that's going to end up costing you way more money to fix the problem, whether that means you have to rebuild it from scratch to implement it in a new solution or worst case scenario, maybe that solution you built was and now is definitely not secure 10 years later and it gets hacked or compromised. Um, there's all kinds of scenarios where that's going to cost you more in the long run by going the cheap route up front. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's on the business or customers like at some point the cost could be really really high um you know we read off a couple of different examples that we could find and one of them um was interesting it talked about you know a company that was expanding into canada and so they needed to get an additional language transcription done on their website and it was more complicated than just using google translate or something right um <laughs> but they had done that right and they had done all this work to make it uh you know, legible in, in, in French. And uh, it wasn't long thereafter they had expanded into Japan. And suddenly it was like, oh no, well, now all of the if uh, then kind of statements that they had written into the code had to all be reworked. And it's like one of those situations where do you, at what point do you think bigger picture when you're considering scalability? Because there's probably a way they could have done that that could have allowed them to convert it to any language and right. allow for growth anywhere. So if you know you have plans, for example, global expansion or something, um, you know, what components of your IT do you need to consider to make a decision that's not going to cost you a whole bunch more down the road and limit your ability to grow and grow fast? Um, and, then, and then the other example we'll get to when we get into more of the hardware side of things, I think could be interesting to talk about. Um, but even like as we go down the list here, and we look at computers. Um, you know, I've heard a number of times someone say, well, I can get this from Best Buy for, you know, half the price. And although that might be attractive if you're trying to be budget conscious, how is that really going to hurt you in the long run? Um, I mean, I think we could all talk about how that could be the case and I could ramble on for a little while here. You know, the contrast to that is if you go buy something from Best Buy, maybe it doesn't have a warranty, who's going to support it? Uh, is your IT person going to support it? Do you have a vendor that's going to support it? It comes with bloatware. Do you have to remove that? Who's going to remove it? Is it synced with your Active Directory? Who's going to do all that work and put all your agents on it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for monitoring um, versus something more modern and scalable like Windows Autopilot? Can you explain what Windows Autopilot is for those that yeah, don't know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I do want to call out, uh, those are some great examples that you listed off, Eric, of how a computer that you're buying from a certified partner, from you know, that's business grade technology is going to come with the right warranties, it's going to come with the right licensing. So there's a lot of, you know, baked in costs, so to speak, in that price. It's not just, oh yeah, just buy this because it's more expensive. No, we're considering a lot of those other things. Um, and then to your point. Well, I was going to say what I forgot to mention is like, and not to just blanket and say warranty, like literally it's the difference of getting difference of potentially getting a part inside of four hours versus days talking to some days, weeks, that doesn't know, maybe right? you might even have to ship your laptop back to the provider. Whereas most times when you're buying a warranty through a certified partner, 
that's going to be same day or next day support where the you know dell or lenovo or hp technician comes on site to you and replaces the technology versus you got to pack your computer up put it in a box ship it across the world probably for a few weeks like yeah, who, get a learner in that, i don't in know that. about you and i know this is like a first world problem but how could you do your job without your work computer for two weeks yeah good time to take pto if you got it i suppose <laughs> there you go but yeah so uh Kind of jumping back into how you can make this stuff even more efficient, like you said, with Windows Autopilot, um, oftentimes when you buy computers through um, an OEM, so Dell, Lenovo, or HP, um, and through a certified partner of theirs, you're going to be able to set it up with what's called Windows Autopilot, where you can take the OEM company up front, um, here's my Microsoft tenant, which is just your Microsoft 365 space for Office 365, um, Active Directory and computer management and all that fun stuff. Um, you can tell them up front, here's my tenant, and they will tie that computer to your tenant. So now you get that computer or you send it straight to your new employee that lives across the country because they work remotely uh, and they sign in with their so-and-so at swiktech.com email address or so-and-so at company.com uh, and their password that you've created for them. And it will auto log in and generate a profile for them with the right settings and the right applications uh, and all of the right links and stuff on their desktop so they can just dive in and get to work. Pretty beautiful, very different solution. Um, and there are some prerequisites that have to be in place before you just get to that. And so obviously the spectrum we just described are two extremes. Like, you know, to say that you're buying a computer at Best Buy is obviously very different than uh, using Windows Autopilot. And not to say that that's how you're, you're not, maybe you're not buying your computer from Best Buy today, um, you know, and but it's just to think about the big picture, stop and take a second and consider how you're going to forecast and strategize around um, what your growth plans might be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, very similar but slightly different topic is servers, right? So you can buy server hardware from one of the big names like Dell or HP, or you can go through a lot of smaller shops that make something that they would consider comparable, um, but it's just not going to be the same, right? You're And if you skimp out on the price, that means you're probably skimping out on the resources. So now you have a slower server um, that's not going to be as efficient for people that are accessing those resources on the server. Um, maybe you don't have the right warranties or licensing or reliability. Um, and so you're risking, you know, when something goes down, it could be down for weeks instead of hours. Um, all, a lot of the same concepts with computers tied to servers because it's just technology and hardware, right? So it really, at the end of the day, it makes more sense to buy the right solution for you in a few years to try and scale and have that flexibility with the resources. Yep. One of the other examples we had come across was like mergers and acquisitions. And it talked about two, you know, one company buying another company and then merging their IT systems. And so if you're a company that that's a business practice that you deploy um, maybe frequently, or maybe if you don't and you're planning on it, you might want to consider, well, if I'm going to eat another company's IT and acquire their resources, 
Um, how am I going to do that? You know, am I going to have the bandwidth for it? Am I going to have the scalability for it? Can I like park their stuff into my systems? How do the ERPs mer ERP systems merge together? There's a lot of things to consider that are covering all of the components of what we're talking about today. Um, but that's a great intersection of when you ought to be thinking about this kind of technical debt terminology. And uh, again, if it's around scalability and growth, it's really a good time to consider what that's going to look like. And that's something that I think we've had a good amount of experience with in helping businesses navigate. That's why we're talking about it today, right? Uh, cloud solutions, this is a big topic considering we just started with an article about 10 ways people are investing in cloud uh, over the pandemic. So what do you have to, to call out there? Yeah, I think that when we're talking about you know, moving into the cloud and having cloud solutions and secure environments in the cloud. Um, we're really starting to combine those so the software development and servers and kind of mix it together and put it in the cloud, right? So there's a lot of different, you know, when you say cloud, that could mean anything, right? It could mean yeah. um, you're moving your server resources into the cloud, so you don't need to have a physical server. Or maybe you're standing up a one-time app or applet in the cloud to run as like a form for some SQL database that you're going to be collecting data for. So um, there's a wide range here, but the same principles about software development and servers are going to apply. And that's that you should make sure that your solution makes sense for today, but is also flexible and scalable. The big benefit with the cloud nowadays is you get that out of the box. So a lot of these products, you only pay for what you're using and you only um, you know, scale up if you need those more resources down the road. And it's very easy to do so. And most times it's automated, right? So these cloud solutions are really, they're kind of bridging that gap between worrying about tech debt now you don't you might not need to because you can spend so little up front to get started um, so it's really cool to see this cloud environment take shape as people are starting to realize and utilize it for what it is um, and you don't really have as much tech debt risk anymore with that there are still things um to consider if you're making a transition or a migration there or starting from scratch there's a lot of companies that are still doing things the traditional data center way where they're doing a one-to-one -one kind of uh, replacement. So if you have one server that's virtualized into these things, they're just going to go stand up another server and mirror exactly what that looks like. But that might not be cost effective at all. Maybe you could do a serverless function. And how do you engineer that? And is it going to deliver the same uh, level of reliability, security, and um, ease of use that you've come to expect, right? Do you need to insert some Lambda functions into there so that way there's a hierarchy of functions and it's passing through things a certain way? Um, mm -hmm. That might be something that like, you might not even be aware of that you need to be considering, but that's again, where someone that's more expert in that area can help walk you through what that could look like and give you that insight. So if you're considering that move or something like that, like talk to a couple vendors, talk to a few people, talk to many consultants and start to kind of hear what they're telling you and determine, is there a better way to do this that's going to be more scalable, that's going to cost, even if it's more or less, um, what does the future of that look like? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And just kind of to, to add on to that a little bit, uh, oftentimes, um, you know, the price of cloud solutions and running your servers in the cloud and hosting an app in the cloud, 
those prices are coming down rapidly, right? So now we're starting to see we're kind of at we're getting to a break even a point with a lot of this stuff where it makes more sense to pay the monthly fees uh, over time rather than stand up physical equipment in your environment and pay that capital expenditure up front. But that's not always the case, right? With some resources, um, you know, a, a really good example of this is SQL. Uh, you're going to see maybe it ends up costing a little bit more monthly, you know, if you multiply that out over five or seven years than it would to have that capital expenditure. Um, so it's important to keep that in mind, Eric, like you said, when you're considering this, um, are you, is there that much more valuable in going to the cloud? Most times the answer is still going to be yes, right? Because of that flexibility and scalability and security that you get by going to the cloud environment. Um, so it's not just a one-to-one -one comparison. It's not, oh, well, I'm saving five grand over five years if I go with a physical server, so I'm going to do that. No, you got to consider your business model, um, the needs of your staff and customers and what that looks like long-term. Absolutely. And you know, that brings us to our last point um, in the technology stack, at least for what we're talking about. But networking goes hand-in-hand -hand with that because um, if you have a bottleneck in your network and you're suddenly passing all your data and collaboration through uh, that network to get to the cloud, now you have a really big problem if you didn't consider what that was going to look like. So when you're considering your growth plans and scalability, are you hiring? Are people working remotely, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, are you going to be taxing that network any certain way as you continue to plan out your, your growth for the cloud or what have you? Um, I know we've had that conversation with several businesses nonprofits, organizations, et cetera, that um, are making that migration. And that absolutely needs to be considered. Um, in fact, networking is becoming more important than ever because of the shift to cloud. Yeah, and it's that's so true. And it's really interesting when you consider all of that. Um, and honestly, networking is the hardest one for a lot of people to stomach because when you consider um, the higher price tag to have faster internet, um, and then the exorbitantly higher price tag to have the right equipment to use that internet um, and make sure that you're getting good speeds and the right technologies across your office space or offices, plural. Um, usually it's way more expensive to get the right technology. Um, if you're buying a quality networking solution versus standing up the modem and router that Spectrum ships you, we're literally talking, you know, $200 for the equipment and $100 for Spectrum to come install it. Maybe five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars for the equipment for a small business, and a couple thousand for a certified IT partner to come and install it for you. And so, it's very hard for a lot of people to see the value there when they think, "Well, I can just spend 300 bucks and I have internet. Why would I pay you six, seven, eight thousand People can't work remotely all of a sudden you realize oh i guess it's time to pay that technical debt back yeah so there's a lot of big risks that you're going to run into with that that's a huge one right it's harder for people to work remotely maybe they can't even get into your network because you don't have the right solution to support a virtual private network for people to connect to um, that equipment's not going to be nearly as reliable so you're going to oftentimes have more issues with it more outages it's just going to cause more frustration for you and your staff and clients, if you have clients coming to the office, not many people do these days, but you get the idea. Um, and then more importantly, uh, these more expensive networking solutions are gonna come 
with all of the latest and greatest technology. So it will hopefully last you a bit longer. Whereas some of those cheaper manageable and you know, there's a lot of benefits yeah. baked into it. Especially when you consider, you know, if you've got staff that are coming into the office, they all have the latest and greatest iPhone or uh, Android phone that has the best wireless technology in it, right? It came out yesterday instead of seven or eight years ago when you replaced your internet uh, or your network uh, equipment. And so it's hard to like, that. that's not gonna work well together. You're gonna get a lot of people getting frustrated because their phone is slow at the office or maybe it doesn't even connect to your network at all. There's all kinds of situations and problems that can arise when you don't spend that money up front to get the right technology. Well, the, the, the correct word to use then is investment. Yeah, it's absolutely an investment <laughs> for sure. And it's interesting um, to think like there's a lot of um, folks who don't see that as a good investment, but then down the road, they're like, I've got all these problems and okay. I don't, yeah, I don't know why it's not working to fix it, like fix it yesterday. And the answer almost always when you get these weird, hard to troubleshoot networking issues is sorry, you just need to replace your, your equipment. Like it's either old or it's not up to snuff for it's what tired. you're trying to do. Yep. There's all kinds of reasons. And most often it boils down to you didn't spend the money up front to get the right equipment that was going to work well for you. And now you think it can be fixed when really the fix is spend the money and replace it. Yep. Yep. And maybe it was good enough at the time and, and new is fine. It's like if you're going to go buy a car of 2020, uh, I don't know what a low grade car model, I don't know, like a basic standard something in contrast to uh, like a competitor model that's upscale in terms of brand and price tag, you know, you're probably getting a lot more miles out of the car you're paying a lot more for, right? And a lot less problems, maybe a better warranty, uh, et cetera. So you're literally going to travel further down the road with the other one. Um, what does that work to you? Maybe it's okay to have a throwaway thing and you can buy two cars in the same time span as it took to pay for the one. You know, if you're doing that with technology, are you really going to rip your network out and do that uh, two times because you've got you know, lower grade quality stuff? Maybe this analogy is not great. We always uh, wonder about my analogies. I don't love that one, but I'll let it slide this time. <laughs> um, yeah, and the network is the highway, right? Okay, let's just stop. Put the shovel down, Eric. <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll wrap things up, though. And, and this is just all to say, like, this is a good time of year if you haven't sat down to do any sort of strategic planning. I know it can be quite challenging given the state of everything with COVID, the election season, there's a lot happening still. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of volatility, um, but I think that's where a plan can be really important. It's not necessarily the plan itself, it's the exercise of planning and having those conversations. Uh, and if we can be of help and assistance to help build out a framework or help with budgetary estimates and things like that, we're, we're happy to do so. Not to make this into a salesy thing, it's just uh, we like to help where we can help. Yeah, absolutely. And on a similar note, not not a topic that we really touched on much today, but uh, we do have a webinar coming up next week, Wednesday, the 18th, talking about what you can do to move your phone system to Microsoft Teams. Um, and that's really applicable to this tech debt conversation um, when you're considering replacing an entire phone system, right? Does it make more sense to do the traditional on-premise phone solution with a physical server and PBX and all that jazz? 
or does it maybe make more sense to spend that money up front now to get you into a solution like Microsoft Teams that's more digital, way more robust, offers your employees the ability to work from anywhere, um, on and on and on. So uh, be sure to tune in for that webinar to kind of learn more about what that all entails, what it looks like to move into Microsoft Teams for your phones. Perfect. Well, thanks. That was a good episode today. 